some of those opinions I disagree with. So I thought this morning what we need to do and what I feel led to do is share with you the opinion of the Lord Jesus on the church, what he says concerning his church. Because, folks, the truth is his opinion is the only opinion that matters. So in Matthew chapter number 16, he gives his disciples then and disciples today some truth concerning the church. That's what I'm going to entitle this message this morning, the truth concerning the church. We'll start in verse number 13 of Matthew chapter number 16, and we'll read through verse number 19. Listen to what it says. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And when they said, and then they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? I love that question. Verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Verse 18. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whosoever or whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, again, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you so much for the opportunity and privilege you've given me this morning of standing behind an open Bible and sharing your truth. Lord, we can do nothing effectively in and of ourselves. Lord, I want to do nothing in my ability. I want to rest in you this morning. I'm asking that you speak to me. You Fill me up and you pour me out, Lord, and then you speak through me to the lives of people uh, that I'll be speaking to this morning. God, we know that you are ready to speak to us if we are ready to listen. So, Lord, I'm asking that you move me out of the way and you use me, Lord, to do your work to accomplish your will uh, before your people. God, have your way and have your will in me, and Lord, work through me so that you might be glorified. Lord, it's not about me, it's not about us. Lord Jesus, today we want to lift you up, and I'm asking you, God, to do that by your power and presence this morning as we speak your truth. Lord, show us the truth concerning the church. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray, and for your sake, amen. Now what I believe is happening here in Matthew chapter number 16 is Jesus is giving his disciples a final examination. Jesus is now on his way to the cross. His earthly ministry is almost completed and his disciples have now been with him for over three years. They've walked with him. They've talked with him. They've sat around the campfire with him. They've seen him do the miracles. And they've been in the greatest seminary that could have ever been given. They've been under the teaching of the Lord Jesus himself. And now as he's about to go to the cross and end his earthly ministry, he gives them a final examination. And he asks them, who do you believe I am? Now, folks, it's important that we pass this examination if we fail all others. It's important that we get this truth right, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. I heard a story one time about a little boy who was taking his final exams at school. And he walked into his house after having taken his final exams. And he walked up to his dad. And his dad said, son, how did your exams go today? And he said, well, I'm pretty sure that I failed my history exam. 
And he said, well, you need to be more positive. He said, okay, well, I'm positive I failed my history exam. So uh, we need to be positive in, in knowing what we know according to Scripture about the Lord Jesus and about his church. We need to understand this morning uh, that Jesus gave us truth concerning his church uh, that, that is very important, especially in the day that we live in. Now, Matthew chapter 16, verse number 13, 14, and 15, the first thing that I want you to see is the believing of Peter. Watch what it says. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Now listen to what Simon Peter said. Simon Peter makes a personal Confession of faith. You need to see that. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now why is this important for us to note? Listen to me, folks. A personal confession of faith in Jesus is basic to everybody's salvation. To my salvation, to your salvation, to anybody that gets saved. Listen, a personal confession of faith is, is, is basic to that salvation, that process that God does in your heart and in your life. You say, Roger, where do you get that? Well, let me share something with you. Take your Bibles, keep your place there in Matthew chapter number 16, and look with me in Romans chapter 10 about what Paul says concerning the basic the basics of accepting Christ, this personal confession and the importance of it. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. He says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. See, it's important that we know what we believe about Jesus. It's important that we know what we're confessing about Jesus. Then he says in verse number 10, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Not only does Paul say that a personal confession of faith is basic to salvation, John also says it as well. Turn with me to the book of 1 John chapter number 2. Let me read to you something there. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse number 18, John puts it like this. He says, Little children, it is the last time, and as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they, might, that they were not of us. Verse 20, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Then he says, verse 21, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Verse 22, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist and denieth the Father and the Son. Verse 23, verse 23 Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But listen to the last part of verse number 23. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. So John again says that a confession of faith, you knowing what you believe about the Lord Jesus, is basic to salvation. It's not only for them, it's for all of us. Look with me again. 1 John chapter number 4, verses 1 through 3. John puts it like this here. He says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, 
Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now look what it says, verse 3. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. So Paul says that a uh, personal confession of faith is basic to salvation. John says that a personal confession of faith is basic to salvation. And Jesus says it right here in Matthew chapter number 16. Listen, he praised the fact that Peter understood full well who he was and that Peter um, confessed it publicly. So a personal confession is important for us all if we're going to be saved. We need to know what we believe concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to know something though. This confession was a personal one. It was personal to Peter. Jesus first says, who do men say? That I am. And, and Peter said, Well, some are saying that you're Jeremiah, some saying you're Isaiah, some saying you're one of the prophets. And, and, and then he shifts the focus from what everybody else is saying to what Peter personally says about the Lord Jesus. See, I want you to know something. What someone else believes about Jesus or confesses about Jesus has no bearing on your personal relationship with Jesus. What your mama says about Jesus has no bearing on your personal relationship with Jesus. What your daddy says about Jesus has no bearing on your personal relationship with Jesus. What your preacher says about Jesus has no bearing on your personal... What do you say about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? That's what... The Lord is asking Peter here, and the truth is, that's the question that he's asking to all of us. Who do we say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? That's the question we must answer for ourselves. He's given them an examination, but he's also, through his living word, giving us an examination. And it's very, very important that we get it right, that we know who Jesus is. Now I want you to notice something. These people who had their thoughts about who Jesus was, some said he was Elijah, some said he was John the Baptist, some said he was Jeremiah. These are not bad things, they're just wrong. They're just not completely right. Jesus was a prophet, but was much more than a prophet. Jesus was a great teacher, but was more, much more than a great teacher. Jesus was a good moral man, but he was much more than just a good moral man. He was much more than John. He was much more than Elijah. He was much more than Jeremiah. And to, to say that Jesus is anything less than the Christ, the Son of God, is a wrong confession of faith. Peter makes it plain. He says, first of all, you are the Christ. Now what does this mean when he says, Jesus, you are the Christ? I want you to understand, folks, Christ is not the last name of Jesus. I think a lot of people believe that. Christ is his title. 
Christos or Christ in the, in the Greek language is a translation of Messiah in the Hebrew language. What uh, Peter is saying is you are the Messiah. You're the promised deliverer. The deliverer that has been promised is Genesis chapter 3. If you remember, God spoke in Genesis chapter 3 and said the seed of woman would bruise the head of Satan himself. And that seed of woman is none other than the Lord Jesus. He is the promised Messiah. That's what Peter's saying. For that is who Jesus is. He is the Christ. But then he says something else. He says, you are the son of the living God. See, it's important that you believe Jesus is the Messiah, the one who came to set us free of the bondage of sin. It's important you know that. But it's also important that you know it was God in the flesh doing for man what men can't do for themselves. He is the son of God and he is God the son. Peter makes this confession, and his confession was right. It was valid, based upon the evidence that we have in Scripture. Now, there's a lot of people today who believe Jesus to be a good moral man. They believe Jesus to be a great teacher. They believe Jesus to be a lot of things, but they don't believe him to be the Son of God. Let me quote for you one of my favorite authors, a man by the name of C.S. Lewis. Listen to what he said about those who don't believe Jesus to be the Son of God. He says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher at all. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who claims to be a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. Listen, if Jesus is not the Son of God. He's certainly not a good moral man because he claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be sent by God to do for men what men can't do for themselves. He claimed to be the Messiah. He is God the Son. He is the Son of God. And we've come to the place where we've got to answer for ourselves. Who is Jesus? Who do we believe him to be? Peter made his confession, and we must make our confession. Now, you need to understand, though, the confession that Peter made was based upon conviction. He had these convictions because, remember now, he spent the last three years right alongside Jesus. He saw all the things that Jesus did. Listen, he saw Jesus do things that only God could do. He saw Jesus raise up dead people like Lazarus. He saw Jesus heal blinded eyes like he did with blind Bartimaeus. He saw Jesus walk on water and calm the raging sea. He saw Jesus do things that only God is capable of. Peter saw Jesus in his power but he also saw Jesus in his person. Now what I mean by that, if you remember, it was Peter who got down out of the boat and walked on the water to go to Jesus. And while he was walking, the Bible says in Matthew 14 that he took his eyes off Jesus and he put his eyes on the storm. And the moment he saw the wind boisterous and the waves getting big and the, and the lightning crashing and the rain falling, when he took his eyes off Jesus and put it on the storm, the Bible says he began to sink. And he cried out for the Lord to save him. And the Bible says immediately, Jesus reached down and brought him out of the water and saved him. He saw that Jesus had the power to walk on water and to allow Peter to walk on water. 
But he also saw him in his person that he is good. He's loving. And we call on him for salvation. He's ready and able to give us exactly what we need. So Peter makes this confession of faith based upon the conviction he has concerning Christ. And that conviction is based upon eyewitness accounts of who Jesus is and what Jesus did while Peter walked with him. Are you getting that? Very important that we see it. I've heard a lot of people say that the Christian faith is like taking a leap in the dark. Folks, nothing could be further from the truth. The Christian faith is not like taking a leap in the dark. The Christian faith is based upon eyewitness accounts of the God-man Jesus who did what only God could do in his life and then went to the grave and conquered death, hell, and the grave. His confession was a personal one based upon conviction But I also want you to see something else. It led to a conversion in the life of Peter. And everybody who places their faith in Christ, listen, I can promise you, it leads to a conversion within that individual. It did for me. He changed me. I'm I'm still a work in process and he's still working on me. There's no doubt about it. But he changed me from what I used to be. I'm not where I need to be. But praise God for I'm not where I used to be. I'm not like I was. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 16. I love it. Verse number 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Verse 18 says, And I also say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Here you see Jesus changing the name of Simon. Now this is important for us to note. Listen to me. Uh, Let me tell you why. Because Simon means that which is unstable. Peter, or Petros in the Greek, means that which is rocky. So what he's saying is, Peter, you have went from being unstable, Peter, to being a rock because you know who I am and what I've come for. Things have changed. It's led to a conversion in his life. Peter went from being um, just regular old Simon to the rock that God used for his honor and his glory. He made a personal confession that was based upon conviction and because of his faith in Christ, it led to conversion. It changed him. I'm going to tell you, everybody who truly trusts in Jesus, it still changes you. We become a new creation in Christ. I'm so very thankful for that. You need to see the believing of Peter. That's here in Matthew 16, but I also want you to see the building of the church. Now, when I say the building of the church, I'm not talking about this brick and wood and mortar structure that I'm standing in this morning. For we all know this is not the church. This building is not what I'm speaking of. I'm not talking about the building as a noun. I'm talking about the building as a verb. I'm talking about God doing the work of redemption in men, women, boys, and girls who have placed their faith in Him and making us a body making us members in His body 
of whom he is the head. Amen? So, so you need to understand, you need to know that the church is not a place we come to. The church is a people we belong to. The church is not um, temporal. The church is eternal. I want you to understand, listen, this building can never be the church because this building is continually falling away. I, I remember just a few months ago, we opened up our uh, family life center that we just built here behind the sanctuary. And the, we had, had it open probably two or three days, and we already had chips in the floor. The paint was chipping. We had a hole in the wall where someone opened up a door and, and smashed it into the sheetrock. And, and I began to think, I'm, I'm so thankful that, listen, the church is not the building. Why? Because the building is certainly falling away. It's deteriorating even as we speak. It's temporal. It is not eternal. Listen to me. The church that Jesus builds is an eternal church of men, women, boys, and girls who have received eternal life by faith in Jesus. We are the church. Now, I, I want to be honest with you. I like to come to the building. I miss all of you who are not in the building this morning. I've heard it said that the building that we assemble in is nothing more than a sheep shed. And that's right. It's the place the sheep come to receive from the shepherd. We know Jesus to be the good shepherd. And so we assemble together in the shed to hear from Him. And I like that. I cannot wait for the time when all of us are able to come together again and in one voice being praise unto Jesus. I can't wait for all of us to come together again so I can encourage you and you can encourage me. I can't wait for all of the church to come together again so that we can be edified, built up by what God has done in your life and by what God has done and is doing in my life. I can't wait to be with my brothers and sisters in Jesus. I look forward to that, and I miss that. But you must understand, you are still the church whether you're at the building or not. You are still the church because the church is not a place. The church is the people of God. It's eternal. Jesus builds his church. I want you to know three things about the building of the church. First of all, Jesus is the architect. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. I love the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the story of the work of the Holy Spirit building the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you remember in Acts chapter number 2, Peter stands up and he preaches on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says that 3,000 people got saved that day. And then it goes on to say that as the people continued in the Word, as they continued in the doctrine of salvation, as they continued preaching and teaching the Gospel, that the Lord added unto the church... Such as should be saved, Acts 2.47. So we need to understand, it is the Lord that adds to the church. He is the architect. He builds His church. Flesh and blood cannot build it. Now we get to be a part of it, 
But only Jesus saves souls. Only Jesus puts us in his church. And I'm so very thankful for that. Not only is he the architect, he's also the foundation. Look with me in 1 Corinthians. Just a moment. Chapter number 3. And we're going to look down at verse number 11. The Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear who the foundation of the church really is. See, a lot of people think when we read in Matthew 16 that when Jesus says, upon this rock I'm going to build my church, a lot of people think that he's talking about building his church on Peter. Folks, listen to me. If you go on and read in Matthew 16, you'll find the same Peter who made this great declaration of faith who made this uh, a personal con confession of faith uh, earlier in Matthew 16, later on in Matthew 16, Jesus has to rebuke him. Why? Because he's just a man. Jesus is not, cannot, and would not build his church on a mere mortal, on a sinful man. It's not talking about the church is going to be built upon Peter. Listen, Jesus is the architect who builds the church, and he is the foundation of the church. The Bible says he is the chief cornerstone. Let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, it's like wood, hay, and stubble. Every man's work will be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now what the Bible is telling us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is that Jesus is the foundation of his church. When he says to Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, what he's saying is, upon this truth that I am the Christ, upon this truth that I am the Son of God and God the Son, upon that truth my church will be built. He's the architect. He's the foundation of the church. Let me give you another one. He's also the bricklayer the stonemason of the church. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter number 2 just a moment. Listen to what the Bible says there. First Peter chapter 2. And look down with me at verse, let's just start with verse number four. Watch this. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Jesus is the living stone that men rejected, but God chose. Now he says, ye also, ye also, watch, are as lively stones. We are living stones that Jesus puts in His church. Watch what it tells us. Are built upon a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. I love this. Jesus is the architect. He adds to the church. Jesus is the foundation. He's the rock upon which the church is built. But now Jesus is also the stonemason that puts the stones exactly where he wants them. Let me tell you what I know to be true. 
God's will for your life is first and foremost for you to be born again by placing your faith in the finished work of Jesus. That's the first thing. It's about you making that personal confession of faith brought about by conviction of the Holy Spirit that leads to conversion in your life. Number two, what God wants for you is for you to be involved in, plugged into, and impacted by the local church. And if you're not doing that, you're outside of the will of God. Jesus places His living stones in His church where He wants them. He builds the church. I'm so thankful for that. I've got to be honest with you. It took me a long time to understand that. Fully. For a long time as a pastor, I would worry myself sick. And spend, I spent a whole lot of nights worrying myself sick over what was going to happen in the church. This one is quit coming to church, and that one won't come to church, and this one ain't being faithful, and people's not being saved like I would like to see them get saved, and I don't see the church growing spiritually like I, like, like I would like to see it grow. And it's very hard for me to wait. I want what's happening to happen right now. And so I worried about that. I worried myself sick over that. And finally the Lord showed me something. This is not my church. It's His church. He builds it. He sustains it. He grows it. He adds to it. He's the architect. He's the foundation. He's the one who puts the stones, the living stones in the church. I love that. Now, let me, let me share something with you. We as living stones are bound together. We have a bond. Anybody who knows anything about stone masonry knows you can't just stack stones up and expect them to stay there. The first good windstorm you've got or the first uh, thing that happens, those stones are going to fall over. If somebody rubs up against them or leans up against them, if you don't have them bound together, if there's not something that holds the stones together, then you don't have much of a building. When Jesus lays the stones in His building, He puts us together with the love of Christ. The, the Bible says that the love of God has been shed abroad into the hearts of believers in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 5. The Bible says as members in His body, when one member suffers, the other members suffer. What affects one member of the body affects me. Why? Because we are bound together by the love of Jesus. We love Jesus and we love people. If I hurt, you hurt. And if you hurt, I hurt. If you need help, I'm going to help you. And if I need help, you can come help me. We work together, loving one another, being the body of Christ. That's what I love about being a part of the body of Christ. I know that I've got brothers and sisters in Jesus who love me and would be there for me whenever I need them. All you got to do is call. I love that. 
I'm thankful I've got people right now praying for me. I've had several texts this morning that said, Pastor, we're praying for you. You may be in an empty building, but we're with you. We're listening to you. Praise God for that. We're not in this alone as the body of Christ. We're in this together because of the love we have one for another. Love Jesus, yes. And if you really love Jesus, you've got to love his people. Jesus builds his church. You need to see the believing of Peter. You need to see the building of the church. But uh, also, I want you to see the blessing of the church. Watch this. I love this part. You will too if you're you're a believer, if you're um, a son or daughter of God. Look what it says. Verse number 18. And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever shall, thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I, didn't, I never understood really what verse number 18 was speaking of until this week as I was doing some studying. And what Jesus actually does here, he uses a play on words. He, he says it like this. This is how it goes in the Greek. He, he says in verse 18, Thou art Peter, thou art Petros. Again, that means that which is rocky. And upon this rock, now when he uses the word rock here in the Greek the second time, he doesn't use Petros. He uses Petra. Now, Petra is that foundational rock. Petra is that huge, great Big rock that that you would build upon. So what he's saying is, you are Peter. You've been converted. You went from being unstable to stable because of your faith in me. You went to being Simon to being Peter the rock. But now I'm going to build my church on the rock. Now what is the rock? The truth of who Jesus is and what he does. Amen. He is the Christ. The deliverer. The promised one. The Messiah. And he is the son of God. He is the rock. Now what does that mean for us? That has a a, a great deal of blessing then that comes to us who are a part of His church. Look what it says, verse number 18. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Whatever attack the enemy comes at the church with, The Bible promises, Jesus promises, that will not prevail against the church. No weapon formed against the people of God shall prosper. I'm thankful for that this morning. I don't know what's going to happen with what's going on in our world today, but I do know this. Jesus has not and will not leave nor forget about His church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. No authority in this world that comes against the church is greater than the authority only Jesus has. Then he says something else. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What is the keys of the kingdom? If you go to unlock your door when you get home, the way you unlock the door is with the key. 
So how do you unlock heaven? Well, I believe what he's saying is, I'm going to give to you the keys to the kingdom. I'm going to give to you that which unlocks heaven. What is that which unlocks heaven? It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Let me read to you the gospel. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And the apostle Paul here really just puts it in a nutshell. Listen how he says it. I love this. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I have delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he arose again the third day, according to the Scripture. And he was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve, and after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep." What gives us the key to the kingdom of heaven? How is heaven unlocked? It's unlocked when a person, a man, woman, boy, or girl, believes, trusts in the gospel and repents of their sin. Now the Bible says he's given us the key to the kingdom. He's given it to his church. We have the gospel message Jesus builds the church, but he allows us to be a part of the building process. He allows us to go out and sow the good seed of the gospel. He allows us to go out and plant the seed so that he might give the increase. He allows us to preach the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, preaching the gospel coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit is still what's changing hearts and lives. It's still what's causing people to miss hell and gain heaven. It's still what's causing people to receive the abundant life that only comes through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the keys of the kingdom, I believe, is the gospel message that's been given to the church. We need to see the believing of Peter. We need to see the building of the church. But we also need to see the blessing of the church. No authority that comes against the church is greater than the authority Jesus has. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He holds the preeminence, the Bible says in the book of Colossians. He is the potentate. He's the one who's in control. It's his church. He will never leave nor forsake his church. In time or in eternity, he's with us. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful to be a part of the church. I'm thankful that I can rest in him today. He's done the work that needs to be done for us to be a part of his church. Amazing. He says, What thou shalt bind on earth, thou shalt be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth, shall be loosed in heaven. There's power in the church. There's authority in the church. Why? Because Jesus lives in the church in the person of the Holy Spirit. I too... I'm a living stone. Yes, 
He is the original living stone. He is the chief cornerstone. But just like Peter says, I am also a living stone, a part of the church. And you are too, if you are a believer. And in the church, we have authority, power over all things. I love this. Now, I believe we access that power through prayer. When we choose to pray, God chooses to listen. 1 John 5, 14 says, being confident that if we ask anything in accordance to his will, he hears us. The God who promises to hear us is able by his power to answer our prayer. The power of God is released upon your situation when you choose to pray. All of this is available because you are a part of his church. A lot of people are saying that the church will never recover from the time that we're going through right now. I have to disagree with them. It's his church, and he's able to keep and to bless and to grow his church. I trust him. I trust him. I can't wait to see what God's going to do as a result of the time we're going through right now. Now, if you're here this morning, and you're not a part of his church, you've never yet made that personal public confession of faith I encourage you today to trust in Jesus. He is the Christ, the Messiah. He is the Son of God and God the Son. And He's done for you what you couldn't do. He paid your sin debt at the cross so that you might be set free. So that you might have eternal life. And the Bible says, if you'll trust in Him by faith and repent of your sins, you can be saved. Romans 10.13 says, Whosoever shall call, Upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise the Lord for that. He's no respecter of persons. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Let, let me give you one more scripture. It comes from John 3, 17. All of us know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not per- or shall not perish but have everlasting life. But then John 3, 17 says, For he did not come to the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus is not trying to condemn you. He could, but he's not. He came to save you. He came to save you, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're going through. And if you are saved, remember this. If you're a part of his church, he's able to bring you through whatever you face in this world. He's with you, no matter what. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you build your church and you bless your church. I'm thankful, Father. You are able to do what's necessary to cause your church to thrive and to be your hands and your feet in a world that needs it so much right now. And I'm asking you this week, Lord, that you allow us by your power and presence to love people as you love people, to show compassion, which is love and action, to all we come in contact with. 
Lord, help us to reach out to those who need you. Help us to love you, Lord, but also help us love others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.